I invite you to find a Bible and turn to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. It's on page 403 if you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you. As Mary mentioned, um, I would encourage you to be praying this week for our mission team. They're currently in Philadelphia, and they're going to be there for most of the day and leave, I think, about four this afternoon for their flight to the Dominican Republic. You know, it's the way life is these days. You leave Birmingham and go to Philadelphia to go to Dominican Republic. But just pray for safety for them um, today and meaningful work in the week to come. Psalm 47, beginning in verse 1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When is the last time you were so excited and filled with joy that you jumped up out of your seat and you clapped your hands and you shouted? When's the last time that happened to you? Perhaps it was at a sporting event. So I talk a lot about sports, especially youth sports, because that's my life right now. And one night I was down in Calera recently. I'm sure all of you were just there this weekend. I was down in Calera. It was about 10 o'clock at night. This is the craziness that is youth sports these days. Saturday, it was the bottom of the seventh. We only play six innings normally, but we were tied zero to zero. Bases were loaded, there were two outs, and one of the tallest, best-looking kids on the team walked up to the plate. And I had a sneaking suspicion of what was about to happen. And sure enough, the ball comes across the plate, he smacks it off into the May evening and over the right field fence, it goes. Now, how do you think I responded? I mean, I was doing this number. I was looking for somebody to hug. Right? I was high-fiving. I was, it was one of those moments where something happened before you that it just evoked praise and celebration and joy out of you. No one told me to do it. No one said, hey, you should get up and you should celebrate. It just naturally flowed out from what I had witnessed before me. Those of you who are Auburn fans probably think about that football player that caught the field goal that didn't go quite far enough, and he ran all the way down. I can remember looking at that stadium on television, and people 
they lost their minds. Strangers hugging each other. Probably measured on the Richter scale somewhere. When they saw it, they just exploded with praise and celebration. Clapping, shouting, joy. I've never been on a battlefield, but I imagine if I were to be on a battlefield and my regiment was um, about to be defeated and then comes the cavalry, and the cavalry comes over the hill and they save us, I imagine people in those moments rejoice. I imagine they jump up and down and celebrate and they are filled with praise. Now here's a question I want you to ask yourselves. Has that ever happened to you in church? Has that ever happened to you in church? It's one of those things that I think we don't think about enough. That there is a part of worship, there is a part of reverence that can lead us to be silent before God. It can lead us to be in awe and reverence such that we are quiet and dignified. But if you read the Psalms, the Psalms take note of that. They, they express worship that is quiet and reserved. The idea to be still and know that the Lord is God. But the Psalms also are filled with this other part of life and we're called to rejoice. i got to tell you, when I read Psalm 47 verses 1 and 2 this week in my study, Listen again to what the sons of Korah write. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I was in my office and I was making notes on this and I said, I don't know that I've seen this very much. And I pulled out Alan Ross, one of my professors in seminary, his commentary on the Psalms. And I turned to this um, Psalm 47 and what he had to say. And this is what he said. The expressions used in this psalm do not allow for a muted or lifeless doxology that so often occurs in congregations. A muted or lifeless doxology that so often occurs in congregations. See, I don't think our church is unique in this. Congregations, he says, those he's been exposed to in his past, that, that there can be a form of worship that feels muted and lifeless. As I thought about worship and I thought about praise and I thought about joy this week, and I thought about the ways in which the Psalms over and over again command us to worship the Lord in a way that is beyond just going through the motions, but that is full-hearted, joyful. It's occurred to me that, that praise is so important because it, it shapes our heart and our life to, to what is the reality of the world that we live in. This past week, you and I have been barraged again with bad news. Horrific news. 
And it's been the case as long as God's people have been walking the earth that, that bad things have been happening. And this fundamental truth that you see all over the Psalms is that even now the Lord reigns. That he is king, that he is exalted over the nations. And the Psalms wrestle with what it means to be people of faith who acknowledge God's lordship and his sovereign rule on the earth while also walking through difficulty and hardship that that seems to call those things into question for us. If you've been a believer any amount of time, you've wrestled with those kind of questions. When your faith and your experience don't seem to line up. And sometimes it's the case that we allow truths other than Scripture. We allow the news or we allow whatever we read or what we hear about going on in other people's lives to sometimes shape our hearts so much that that we walk around just like non-believers in despair and frustrated. And if that happens in your heart long enough, it really does get you to a place where, where sports or politics or maybe money or there has to be something in your life that moves you to praise. One of my professors in seminary would say often, and I'm sure it's not original with him, to praise is to live. You and I can't help but praise someone or something. And when we don't understand and engage deeply in praising and worshiping the Lord, we walk through life and we don't experience the joy, even in the midst of hardship, that God would have us to know. There's this pattern I want you to have in your mind as you think about worship. That oftentimes our worship or our joy or our excitement moves from despair to deliverance to doxology. To despair, from despair to deliverance to doxology. And the greater the despair, the more meaningful the deliverance and the more exuberant the doxology. I want to say that one more time. The greater the despair, the more meaningful the deliverance, and the more exuberant the doxology. Take yourself back to that situation out at the ball field. When the young man hit the home run, and he's probably hit 30 this year, I don't know. He's hit more than I ever hit when I was a child, I'll tell you that. But if it's the top of the first or the bottom of the first and we're winning... I don't act the same way, do I? No, I mean, I clap. Good job. Excited you hit another one. But when the situation is dire, when the game is on the line, so to speak, and something monumental like that happens, then you can't help but rejoice in a way that's fitting for the situation. We don't know exactly what was happening in Psalm 47, don't know the exact moment of deliverance that God's people had experienced. But whatever it was, it seems clear that they were in a situation where they knew that they were despairing. They knew that things were difficult and probably even beyond their ability to win. That's one of the major storylines throughout the Old Testament. 
that God goes out of his way to put his people in situations that they can't overcome in their own resources and their own abilities so that over and over again it will be clear that he is the one who's delivered them. And so as they reflect on God's deliverance and his salvation, there is this party that erupts of praise and joy and clapping of hands. That God is king over all the earth and it's the subject of their praise. Now there's a part of this psalm that surely anticipates something later to come. There's a part of this psalm that is not full in and of itself, this idea that God reigns. And when we turn to the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament would often pick up on what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and they would talk about Christ overcoming enemies for us so that even now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. And one of the places that we see this is in Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now it's important to note that Paul prays that the Spirit would allow them to see the full significance of all that God had given them in Jesus. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Every Sunday ought to be for us a mini-Easter. We gather on Sunday because it's the day of what? Resurrection. We gather on Sunday because it's the day of resurrection. How many of you are here on Easter Sunday? Anybody? You and a lot more other people were here on Easter Sunday. And we go all out on Easter Sunday, don't we? We've got extra musicians we sing uh, Handel's Messiah, I think, the Hallelujah Chorus. Is that what it is? The Hallelujah Chorus. I mean, we go all out on Easter Sunday because we're celebrating the what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and this event that has changed everything for you and for me. But then in subsequent Sundays, it seems like we go back to the ho-hum normal stuff, don't we? Like, all right, I'll go to church today. I guess I should. I guess I should go up there to church. And we we lose some sense of the good news of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us through his life and his death and his resurrection. And that even now, he's at the right hand of the Father 
And all things have been put under subjection under his feet. And you and I, every Sunday when we come to church, in our good days and in our bad days, when things seem to be going right and things seem to not be going right, we gather together on Sundays and we remind ourselves of the truth that Christ came into the world, that he took on flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died in our place on the cross, and that through faith in him, because of the resurrection, you and I have been declared completely righteous before God and we're reconciled to others. And it ought to fill us with this sense of joy that would cause us to almost have to sit on our hands that we want to clap so loudly. I would guess that when you're in this room, have you ever felt like clapping and you didn't? Anybody? I have. I felt like clapping and I didn't. And so the question might be, well, why didn't I? And there can be a way in which we can take on a reservedness that that sometimes is counterintuitive or counterproductive for shaping our hearts to be people who praise. That our hearts would be full. That joy would overflow. And that as God brings people in from the outside, and we say, we've been given the best news in the whole world, And they're like, really? (laughs) Doesn't look like it maybe today. But there's this truth that, that God has done something in Jesus that ought to cause us to praise. And not half heartedly, but but wholeheartedly. So I want you to know that when you're in worship, feel free to clap or to shout or to sing for joy. And if somebody, you know, looks at you funny, just show them Psalm 47. And say, I'm just being obedient to what the Scripture calls me to. And truly that everything else in my life might be beating me down and my heart might be heavy. And I need to praise the Lord. I need to be reminded of the truth of what God has done for me. I need to express this as fully as I can so that I might make it through this week. Understanding that God reigns even now. One more passage in closing. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is 1 Corinthians 15. And it's this passage where Paul talks about the reality and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And he starts early on in the chapter and he says, I'll remind you what I delivered to you as of first importance. That Christ died in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried. And that on the third day he rose from the dead and then he appeared to all these people to show the reality that he had indeed been raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. Because he he went over these things because people were questioning the truth and the reality of resurrection. And Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, 
then nobody's been raised, nobody will be raised, and we're still in our sins. And he addresses this this difficulty and this struggle of faith that we feel sometimes living between Christ's first resurrection and ascension and his return. I want you to listen to what he says in verse 24. I'll start in verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. There is this truth that that even now Christ reigns. But Paul acknowledges that, that the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. And when you and I go to the graveside of a loved one, or when we get ready to die, the truth that gives us hope and joy even in the face of that is the truth that Christ will one day return. And we don't deny the hardships. We don't act like they're not real. We don't try to explain away the difficulties and suffering and sorrow of the world, but we also don't give in to that as the final reality. And we trust and we believe through eyes of faith that one day Christ will return. And let me, let me just read to you what will happen on that day. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I don't know how many organists or brass players or members there'll be in the choir that day. But I can tell you that when that day comes, you and I, we won't be lifeless or muted. We'll be rejoicing wholeheartedly that our faith has become sight. And I invite you even now to enter into that kind of life. Praise the Lord even when you don't feel like it. Praise the Lord at all times. And praise the Lord with joy. Maybe in a way that makes other people a little bit nervous. Because you and I, our lives are dependent upon us. Being people who are joyful about the right things. May it be that God would fill each of our hearts with this deep sense of joy and excitement about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the truths of Scripture. And Father, we confess that, that oftentimes we, we get excited about everything other than you. We'll praise restaurants, or we'll praise sports teams, or we'll praise fill-in-the-blank. But Lord, we pray that you would give us by the power of your Spirit, the ability to see and understand the significance of all that you've done for us in Jesus. That we would understand that apart from him, we were in despair. 
but that you delivered us by your great mercy. I pray that that would move us to doxology, to praise, that others may be invited into that same joy that is ours. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.